0: Hello everyone, my name is Rick, Rick van Bruggen from Neo Technology, and here we are again recording another great session for our Neo4j Graph Database uh, podcast. Uh, It's a remote session again uh, over Skype and all the way across the Atlantic this time uh, because I've got Philip, Philip Rathal, VP of Products uh, for Neo on the other side of this Skype call. Hi, Philip. Hi, Rick, and hello to your lovely listeners. (laughs) Yes, indeed. There's a little bit of a delay on the line, I think, but uh, we'll we'll manage. Uh, Thanks for joining us. And um, do you mind introducing yourself a little bit, uh, Philip, so that uh, our listeners know who you are exactly?
1: Sure. So I'm Philip Raffley. I work um, out of our San Mateo, uh, California headquarters here in Silicon Valley, and I've been with Neo for just... uh, almost 3 years um and essentially uh i do all things product management
0: yeah absolutely and I, as i recall you started about the same time as me uh at neo didn't you
1: i i, th- I think so i think we were within uh, a couple months of each other
0: absolutely yeah so, Philip, um, you know, this podcast is, is always a nice and short and sweet. Um, but there's two big topics that I want to cover with you. The first one really is, um, you know, what do you love about graphs and what attracted you to graphs? I mean, you've got a long career in databases behind you already. What brought you to the graph and, uh, you know, what do you love about them?
1: Uh, you're right. I had spent um, most of my career, I guess, close to, to 20 years at that point working um d- with with data and working with uh databases and of course all of that was relational for the most part um and some of that was doing consulting some of that was doing dba and data modeling work and some of that was actually doing product management around uh tooling for data modeling and database administration database development um and uh so I've I've always um, you know long before it was popular. Thankfully, it's gotten popular these days. eh? Um, I agree. Uh, yeah, I've been been fascinated with this idea that there's all this information and that w- w- there's an opportunity to better um, interact with the world, be more effective, um, use use time better, give people what they need, what they want faster by leveraging information in uh, in good ways. And there's this, you know, one distinction we'd always talked about was the difference between data and information. Data is, um, you know, this raw stuff that you use at your own risk, and then you synthesize it and come to understand it and model it and use it, and it becomes um, information and and therefore valuable. And I was fascinated with this idea that um, you could have a data model that reflected the where the logical and physical model were were the same, meaning that where the uh, the the way that a business person viewed uh, viewed data um, and viewed information uh, could actually be much much closer if not almost identical to the the technologist view. And what one, one of the big disconnects that's always uh, happened with, uh, with projects and one of the big costs and one of the, you know, a lot of the frustrations come out of the fact that, um, you know, business and IT are misaligned, but I'm not, I don't think that's the root cause. I think that's a symptom of the fact that the, the view, uh, the business and the IT were viewing things through, um, viewing the same thing through a, a very different lens. And so it became hard to communicate. And uh, so that, that was, that, that was the, the the thing that really hooked me to start, and as I started digging more and seeing the kinds of uh, other things people could do with it, and the kinds of performance you could get out of um, out of a native graph database, and uh, um, the the kinds of flexibility, schema flexibility, and not having to spend uh, you know months and wait for for migration windows where you would you know either do this huge all or nothing thing, and maybe spend half an evening. Uh, rolling it forward and half an evening rolling it back, um, that, that those, uh, th- those, those were pretty nice uh, side benefits, you could say.
0: Wow, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the model is something that has been coming back over this podcast uh, uh, time and time again as something that people really love about the graph. So, uh, you know, maybe we can turn, turn a little bit to, uh, you know, what, what about Neo4j specifically, right? I mean, we've l- released this beautiful new version uh, 2.2 this week. Uh, congratulations. Super happy about that. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone is, I think, and the the feedback has been super. But, you know, what do you love about that? You know, what's so great
1: about uh, 2.2? Maybe a couple of minutes on that? Well, at the time I joined, Neo, and by the way, I I felt so great about this stuff. um, I actually joined on my birthday. Can you believe that? (laughs) Um, So, I, at at the time, and this was in mid-2012, I um, I saw that this had amazing potential. Not only potential, it was actually being used for really serious stuff by, mm-hmm. some, um, by some big companies and by some cool startups. And the, um, the observation, though, is that it's really, really uh, amazing, but it takes a little bit of hacking and wiring and uh, working around things to, to get it to work. Um, so it, it was an amazing technology, if you invested, you know, some amount of time getting it, uh, getting it working. Uh, that's where I got my gray hair, by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I believe you. <laughs> the early versions were—I mean, the early versions of Neo were, were difficult, right? I mean, the, the the they were or much more difficult, at least, than the ones that we have right now.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, this is what happens when you have. Um, Brilliant engineers who are focused on the really, really hard stuff, um, which is building a database engine that is reliable and fast and scalable. And that's such a gargantuan task that it can be um, it can be easy over time to forget the the easy stuff. Um, and it's not easy, actually, user uh, user experience um, and defining the right s- surface and access methods um, and tooling. Uh, isn't isn't easy, but it's a very different mindset, and um, and and so we th- around the time I joined, all all of the work and well, it's an on- ongoing thing. So, but there had been uh, so much work done to create a um, a database that was uh, solid and fast and and could scale, that um, that there hadn't been very much investment, and actually. Taking that technology and making it more broadly accessible and easily usable, and so the since the time I've joined, it's been an ongoing journey of well, it, and and we can talk about the different release themes and how we, we sort of shift from release to release um, what what our focus is on, but but it's steadily evolved to become something that's um, not only approachable but I, I think really pleasant in a lot of ways. I mean, geez, gra- graph karaoke, how how. How many databases do you see um, d- doing that? Uh, absolutely, <laughs> I'm <laughs> a big fan.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, it's uh, it's it's been a, a fantastic journey. I think both in in terms of usability, you know, the two dot X series uh, of Neo4j, but in two dot two, I think it's amazing that what we're seeing in terms of performance, right?
1: Yeah. So, with with two dot the focus was so, so. Let's see. I joined before. We just started working on 1.9, I think 1.8 had just come out, and 1.9 was all about um, improving the, the infrastructure used for, to do the clustering so you didn't have to run zoo, a ZooKeeper cluster alongside a Neo4j cluster. And um, and then with 2.0, the major shift with the major version was we're, we're going to focus on the Cypher query language and uh, as opposed to essentially native... Java APIs, which if you're not a Java developer uh, or you're not into writing lots of imperative code, um, is uh, is nowhere near as approachable and and convenient as writing a declarative query, particularly one that has um, these you know this these characteristics of compactness and readability with you know your um, nodes and closes in parentheses and your relationships with your your arrows and so on. Um, and to do that, we found we actually needed to change the fundamental model and and add this thing called labels. Um, and we also uh, decided, or you know, had this observation that the uh, user interface that we'd had up until then, while we considered it, or at least I considered it really, really limiting, because I, I came from a tooling background, um, turned out to be something that people really, really loved and appreciated. And... That told me anyway that what they appreciated was the the power of um, being able to actually visualize the graphs. That's that's a unique aspect of the model. Um, so we we focused on those three areas, came out with a release that was um, more uh, much more consumable. Um, and you know, and as you often do with these things, you swivel the chair, you work on. Um, uh, features, and then you swivel the chair back and you say, okay, I'm going to take the, the, the whole thing, but particularly the ensemble including these new features, and I'm going to make it um, perform even better in, in every way. And perform means um, latency, you know, i.e. response time. It means response time under high load um, because response time of one query at a time is, is maybe what you notice when you're trying sure. the technology yeah. out, but that that's ultimately not what we're going to use it for in production. You're going to have lots of things hammering at all at the same time. Um, and, uh, and actually one of the, one of the things that wasn't a, a headline was a, a huge investment in quality. We have, um, you know, on any given day, dozens to hundreds of Neo4j instances on, you know, cloud hardware, physical hardware, um, clusters, not clusters, big clusters, small clusters, um, doing all sorts of, uh, Tests, long-running tests, and stress tests, and load tests, and let's pull the plug tests, and um, that's that's ultimately what a database needs to be. It needs to be resilient uh, across a whole range of edge cases, um, where you know any any given person is going to be dealing throughout the course of the life of their application with um, hundreds or thousands of those edge cases. So there there are t- tens of hundreds of thousands of tests that, that run internally. Um On a daily basis, and just hammering the database, and so the um that's always happened, but it's happened even even more um like significantly significantly more with two dot two so I feel really, really great about that,
0: yeah absolutely i mean I think the initial feedback has been absolutely fantastic. So I mean, it's uh, it's been a, a really um, you know a proud event this week. So maybe I can switch uh, gears a little bit and and ask you one last question, uh, Philip, if you don't mind. Um, and that's you know your your VP of product. So what's the what does the future hold? You know, where do you where do you see this going? Maybe short term, but primarily also long term. You know, what's what's where, where do you
1: see Neo and graph databases go? Well, l- let me. Answer that maybe in a start with a different place than you you might expect, which is to talk about where the the market is going because the the okay. product needs to reflect um, where the market wants to go and and where the market can go, even though it doesn't realize it yet or it doesn't know it. Right? It's the, absolutely it's yeah. a good old uh, yeah. Steve Jobs at HM. <laughs> well, it's it's the um, yeah. Pe- I, I might see an application and say, okay, it'd be really convenient to have a big red button here. Um, but actually for someone, uh, it, it, it may be that the best solution isn't to give me a big red button is to address something two or three levels back that, um, where that screen or that interaction doesn't even need to happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so where the market seems to be headed is there's a, a wider and ri- wider range of use cases, um, where, uh, businesses are, Finding it valuable to um, not just use the data and, and look at data as things in isolation, um, and not just view uh, joining data as reconstituting something that you needed to break apart because the relational model required it, <laughs> um, but to actually uh, understand the the causality and the relationships and the um, the the effects between um, between related things. That's that's the world we live in, and. We've oversimplified it for a long time. I think um, maybe because we didn't know better, but actually probably more because of the technology limitations we've had. Um, you you can't have a high performant um, native graph database without very fast random I/O because you're you're hopping, you're doing pointer chasing, yep. and if you know in in the days where you had very little memory and spinning disk or you know tape and parch cards or you know whatnot. Um, that, that just um, wasn't feasible um, and well, that's, so that's
0: probably why the old codaSIll databases failed isn't it
1: <laughs> well I, I think there are a few reasons for that I yeah, think sure. the other is you, you you didn't have the the model flexibility either you're, you're still putting yeah, yeah, things yeah. into buckets and and so rather than having individual uh, data items relate have a a relationship with the another individual data item. so um, Rick colleague with Philip um, you uh, you actually were creating structures into which you um, which are bucket generic buckets and you throw those in and that that's not uh, that's not dissimilar that's from relational databases um, and of course you have an equivalent on the logical side there's there's a conceptual mo- meta model um, with with a graph, but then the the data itself actually looks just like the meta model. You're you're relating physically individual things, not not buckets of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the technology's evolved to make more things possible, and it's now just a question of how how fast and in what directions that that wave will will grow, where um, different uh, across different industries and different use cases. Where there's an appreciation um, and, and you know discovery of what are the new things that I can do or what are the existing things that I can maybe do um, in real time instead of batch pre compute um,
0: so, so what, what, and, what, what, what might be your your personal uh, favorite use case
1: hey, do you mind you know pulling one out yeah so um, geez, there there are so many um, <laughs> yeah people talk a lot about Internet of Things these days, but what would that be without the the connections? I, I, I think of it as Internet of Connected Things. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's certainly one. Um, identity and access management is one that maybe isn't immediately intuitive to people, but it's I, I have a, um, a content hierarchy on one side and a um, person-to-group-to-group-to-group uh, to group, to group hierarchy on the other side. And of course, th- these things aren't Always strict hierarchies, which uh, if you have yeah, yeah, just yeah. one top to bottom or side to side, or they're dimensional, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Then then it becomes a graph, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and then connecting these two hierarchies, you know, adds another dimension. Um, so uh, so that, that's actually a really good one. And I, sometimes we see ones that are really unexpected and fun, and that's what. That's part of what's made this whole journey uh, really interesting. Yeah. Um, if uh, I, I love going to the graph gist page, um, uh, I think it's gist.neo4j.com, or maybe it's neoforj.com/gist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, GraphGist.neo4j.com, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. and where where people will just come up with uh, wild and crazy, but you know, oftentimes it, yeah, of course, that, that's a really good fit. Um, weighing an airplane was a surprising one. Um didn't expect that. It <laughs> yeah, so turns out you can do it much faster with a graph. Cool. So what I'm hearing
0: is, you know, lots of um more beautiful uh, use cases to come up, right? So that's that's uh, that's the the, 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 the most impor- important thing you see coming up.
1: Well so so that then drives the um th- the features and I think you know what what are where where does it create demand? It creates demand for um for more convenience, so there will be more more of that. Improved improvements um, in, uh, in in the developer experience, the uh, the ops experience, um, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the as as well as improvements, uh, continued improvements in in scale in um, in in performance. Th- those are really the themes we we track, and then quality and, and reliability underlying all of that.
0: Cool, hey Philip. Um, we've we've already uh, gone eighteen minutes, so I'm going to wrap up if you don't mind, because uh, we want to keep these uh, reasonably short. And uh, let's do it. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, if people want to know more about Neo4j, there's only one place to go. You know, you go neo4j dot com or at neo4j on Twitter. If you want to reach out to us, I'll put the email addresses on the blog post with the podcast. Thank you so much, Philip. So it was it was great uh, talking to you. Bye, Rick. Thank you. Bye.